Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents Reverend Sarah Leonard Rackley with her teaching, The Importance of the Word. We have the absolute pleasure and honor of having a guest speaker today. Our very own Sarah Leonard Rackley is bringing the word today. So if you would give her a welcome and a hand as she comes to bring the word today. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> Uh, I, when we were worshiping, I remembered a vision I had in 2019 I wanted to tell you guys about. I was here at Wednesday night prayer, actually, October of 2019, and we were praying, and it was about halfway through the time of prayer, and I had a vision, and um, it was short, but I basically I saw the Father God walk down the aisle of Faith Life Fellowship Church, and he had a throne right here. It wasn't like on the stage. It was more like this melted away into God's throne room, sort of. I don't know how else to describe it than that. And so God was sitting on the throne. I couldn't see his face or his features. I just knew in my spirit it was God. And he was massive. He was like 10 feet tall compared to the rest of us. And he sat down, and he was wearing a robe around his shoulders. And as he walked, the robe came with him. It wasn't like he was dragging it. It was more like it was alive and it was coming with him. And so when he sat down, the robe continued to flow into the room until it just filled up every space on the floor except right where his feet were. And it sort of like went through me. Like I looked down and I could see like right through the robe. I, I knew it was there, but I was standing in the middle of it and so were all the rest of us. And then there was like a mist that came up off the robe. And so I just started saying, Lord, show me what this means. And the Lord reminded me of a scripture. So he interpreted the dream for me. The Holy Spirit interpreted the dream for me by when I'd ask, what does this mean? He would remind me of a scripture that I had learned. And so I asked him about the robe, and the, the Lord reminded me of a scripture that said, the train of his robe fills the temple. Well, apparently, because we're worshiping the Lord, he just made his temple here which is what the scripture says, he inhabits the praises of his people. And the robe, when I was looking at it, kind of looked blue. Then I looked again, and it kind of looked red. And then I looked again, and it kind of looked multicolored. And I asked the Lord what that meant, and he reminded me of the scripture that said he wraps himself in light. So his robe is made of light. And, um, and the mist coming off of it, the Lord reminded me of how his glory is like a cloud. That's in Exodus where he led the people of Israel through the desert with a cloud. That was the cloud of his presence. And so um, each thing about this magnificent picture that he showed me, he interpreted to me what it meant through his word. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about today is how important God's word is. I mean, our weapons are praise and worship. We praise and worship the Lord. We overcome. We get the victory in prayer. But none of that means anything if we don't know what the Word of God says. So the best worship songs that we sing are the ones that are just full of the Word. And the best prayers that we pray are the ones that are based on the Scripture. So when I was on my way to church this morning, I heard the Lord say, but why, why does the Word matter to you? And I'm like, because it's awesome. And the Lord's like, yeah, but why do you love my word? And so I was trying to think of, remember some stories. I actually came up with a lot. But um, one of the, when I was in my early 20s, well, we'll go back. So when I was a kid, I was homeschooled. Woo-woo, homeschoolers. And uh, one of our classes was Bible. So we had Bible class. And what that consisted of was my mom tortured me by making me read my Bible. Well, that truly was torture for me. So one chapter a day. So I'd like take, you know, I was like seven, and I would take my Bible away to my room, and I'd read two verses, then I'd start daydreaming. And then, oh, no, I can't go out and play till I finish reading my one chapter. And so I'd start reading again. I'd read a couple more verses, and then I'd be like looking out the window, 
playing with my hair. And, uh, you know, an hour and a half would go by. I barely got through a chapter. And um, my dad would say, okay, tell me what you read. And I'm like, Jesus? And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) And my dad's like, wasn't there anything else in the chapter besides Jesus? Well, he was talking to some lady. What was the lady's name? I don't remember. (laughs) So, okay, fine, you can go out and play. But what she was teaching us was discipline. Because sometimes we don't want to read the Bible. I mean, let's be honest. It's hard to get through one verse without daydreaming sometimes, depending on what's going on in our life. And we get so easily distracted. And so she was teaching me discipline in the Word. I will say it got easier, but sometimes it's still hard to make myself sit down. And like It truly is a discipline to sit down, open the Bible, and read it, and ask the Lord to bring something new out of it to you. You know, have you read it a hundred times? Okay, but the Word of God is living. We know that. So pray and ask Him to bring something out of it. So like the patience of reading through something you already like maybe even have memorized, and asking the Lord to bring something new out of it requires discipline and patience. So then the other part of Bible was she made us memorize a scripture a day. And so we would, and you don't remember this? It was a scripture every day. We would go through like a chapter in a month. And so <laughs> I memorized, so then she would make us like, okay, you got to memorize this scripture and uh, so we'd have to go away to our bedroom. We could pick any version of the Bible we wanted if we had it on our bookshelf. And uh, we'd have to memorize that scripture, come back, tell it to her. If we could say it all the way through from beginning to end without looking, we were off the hook for the day. So and then the next day we'd come back, she'd make us say verse 1 and verse 2. And then the next day we'd come back, she'd make us say verse 1, 2, 3. And so we memorized like whole chapters that way. And some of them I still remember, some of them I don't uh, actually uh, remember the Ten Commandments that way. It helped me get through Bible college because that was one of the finals that, like, the teacher didn't tell us. I think he was, like, just messing with us, you know? He was like, all right, your final exam, 60% of your grade, pass or fail this class if you can tell me all Ten Commandments in order. Like, and I had to write them on the paper. I'm like, uh, no other gods. Got it. Okay. Um, so, you know, most people kind of know them, but don't, couldn't really like tell them to you in order, I think. And he said, as a Christian, you really, this is basic. You should know them. So, but we had to memorize them and that helped me get through Bible college. <laughs> but in real life, all of those, you know, all that time reading and like being forced to memorize scripture and then listening to my dad preach and hearing him quote scripture over and over again. He had some favorites he would say a lot. That went down in my heart, and it planted seeds. And those seeds began to grow. And whether I realized it made any difference or not, because you couldn't immediately see any difference, maybe, you know, from a scripture that we would read or memorize, didn't immediately change me. But over time, it did. And so when, it, when I was in my early 20s, I was working a place, and I had a coworker who was out to get me. That's the best way to know how to describe it. And um, I would go home and tell my mom about it, and she'd say, oh, you're just making this. You always think everyone's out to get you. <laughs> and so but I, I was, you know, I, re- I, th- I can't remember exactly what happened, but one day something really bad went down. And the HR manager, who was a friend of mine, pulled me in, the off- in her office and was like, hey, um, just so you know, this person is saying these things about you to the management, and it doesn't look good. I was furious. I was so mad. I went out to my car, and I, of course, opened the Psalms. All of my enemies are out to get me. Lord, rescue me. I'm down in a pit. You know, I'm surrounded. I can't remember what psalm that is, like Psalm 20-something. But I was reading it, like, with all my heart and tears falling onto the page of the Bible. And the Lord just, like, really sharply got a hold of me and said, that's not the scripture you need to be reading. And he reminded me Matthew chapter 5 that says, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully misuse you and say all kinds of evil about you for my name's sake. And so I was, that was not what I wanted to hear. 
You know, it's like, God, fight my battles for me. Take this woman down, you know. Rescue me. Crush her. And, uh, and what the Lord said was, love her. Bless her. And I just couldn't believe God would be so hard-hearted towards me <laughs> in my anguish. <laughs> and, um, you know, I meditated on that for a few days. It just kept coming back to my mind, back to my heart. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully misuse you. And so I started out, I'll just call her Anne for the sake of the story. Uh, that's not her name, but God bless Anne. <laughs> Oh, God bless Anne. I didn't want to pray that way, but I wanted to be obedient to God. And that was the scripture that he led me to from my memory, from something I had memorized as a kid. We had memorized Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And so uh, I, I remember praying that way for her for a few months. And I started to recognize in her life how hard her life was and how how much she faced, how how much just yuckiness and evil and like she was the strong one in her family all the rest of her family was just nuts you know so she was holding it together she was a single mom and she was just trying to make life work her life was truly miserable and she would come to work and I guess she felt like I was trying to show her up so she was trying to make my life miserable too and I started to have compassion for her because of praying, God bless Anne. God started to give me compassion for Anne. He changed my heart first before he changed the situation. And I remember going to dinner with some of my girlfriends. We are all in our early 20s. And we went out to dinner, and I was telling them this story, and I was telling them, like, the epiphany, pray for your enemies, bless those who curse you. And another one of my friends, most of them were just kind of quiet, one of them kind of nodded her head like she agreed. The rest of them were like, can't imagine doing that. Because they could all think of horrible coworkers, you know. You'd see it on their face. And uh, they were like, you could tell by the way they were looking, they couldn't imagine praying, God bless so-and-so for their enemy at work. And uh, one of them said, that is not biblical. I could not pray that way. I would just pray the fire of God down on that person because God is just and what she is doing is unjust. And so I would just pray for God's justice. I'm like, justice and mercy go hand in hand. I couldn't pray that way. And I thought, how many times do we let our feelings, our emotions, our emotional like involvement in the situation dictate how we choose to apply the Word of God instead of allowing the Holy Spirit of God to direct us how to apply the Word of God to our situation. And so, you know, the goal of living a life that is pleasing to the Lord is to take what's in this book and make it so that we're obeying it the way it is intended to be obeyed and not twisting it to fit our agenda or our feelings or our emotions. And so as I continued to pray for this person who I'm calling Anne, um, I started praying for God to bless her, and he did. I mean, she got this amazing guy who took good care of her and treated her right for the first time ever. Like, her ex-husband was a drug addict, so this was a huge deal for her. And she got a stable living environment. She kind of got separated from the crazy family members. And everything started turning around. She got a raise at work. Everything started turning around for her because I was praying, God bless my enemy. And God honored my prayer, and he started blessing her. And when I left that job, it was several years after, like the beginning of the beginning of that job was she was trying to get me fired every day. And by the time I left the job, she came to me with tears in her eyes and hugged my neck and said she was going to miss me so much she couldn't believe I was leaving. I was one of her best friends. <laughs> so <laughs> I... You never know if you just obey what God tells you to do, how he's going to turn the situation around. But I'll tell you in that moment when I was in my car reading the psalm about God crushed my enemies and, I, you know, God redirected me, I had a choice. I could choose to obey the Spirit of God and do what his word said or just follow my feelings and make the word twist to fit my agenda. But I wanted to talk to you about how important the Word of God is. So 
It's our foundation. It's our anchor. It's our solid rock. I actually was thinking about, um, in a lot, when I worked for Samaritan's Purse in Alaska, we did a lot of construction work. We built churches for uh, these bush places where it would have just been completely cost prohibitive for them to build a church building for themselves, to have a stable. I mean, several million dollars to build a small a church building smaller than this to reach the the community that, um, that was off-road, could only get to by airplane. So Samaritan's Purse has the resources, so they would do that. It would build the church, they would turn it over to the pastor and the, whoever was running it so that they could use that to reach the community. And one of the things that we did often was we would use what's called a triadetic foundation. And it's like stilts. It's uh, aluminum or some kind of strong metal and it has like these crisscrosses that kind of flex like this, and you can change the length of each foot on the foundation. So they would um, on, build it like on top of the tundra and put this foundation down and then change the length of each foot on the tridetic foundation to match the varying terrain. And then they would have to go back a year later or in the summertime after everything had frozen and then melted and settled again and readjust the foundation to fit the landscape. And I was thinking about how different our foundation is in the word. It's a solid rock is what the word tells us. Jesus is our anchor. He is sure and steadfast. So he never has to change. We don't have to adjust the foundation lengths to fit the terrain. You know, a lot of people think that in order to fit in, in our modern world, because everything is changing, you know, and our understanding of the world is changing, that you have to change the way the, the word of God is being taught in order to fit in like a triadetic foundation, change the feet and make it level again. But we don't have to do that. The word of God is the truth. It's strong. It's stable. It never has to be adjusted or changed. And so uh, when I was thinking about how the word of God is our truth, I thought of John 17. And I don't know if you knew this, Mom, but Jesus was actually quoting the Bible when he said that. Did you know that? John said, your word is truth. So in um, John 17, 17, Jesus said, uh, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. He's talking about his disciples. He was praying to God. Sanctify them. Sanctify, that means make weird. I mean make different, make set apart for the purpose. But you really, when you're set apart from everyone else, you're weird, right? So make them weird in your truth. <laughs> Sanctify them in your truth. Set them apart. Your word is truth. But Jesus was quoting the Psalms. Psalm 119, verse 160. I won't read whole Psalm 119 to you. You say, praise the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Your, see, your word is truth. Jesus was just quoting the Psalms. <laughs> in his prayer. So Jesus is quoting scripture in his prayer. How do you think we should pray? <laughs> yeah, exactly. God's word is truth. God's word is absolute truth. It's the foundation that doesn't need adjustment. It's the foundation that doesn't need to be changed. The problem is that we come up against these situations that are in exact opposition to what the word of God says. And then we have a choice. Am I going to believe what God's word says? Or am I going to choose to accept the situation the way it looks? And sometimes situations, based on our experience, based on what we know, based on what we've seen happen to other people, seems, it seems so concrete. It seems like this is the truth. But what we have to keep in mind is God's word is truth. And everything else needs to form around that. We don't change the foundation to a different height to fit the situation. We, we are on God's solid rock. And then the truth is, is what dictates everything else in our life. 
Okay, so uh, then I was in uh, Bible college. Well, I guess this was before the story about Anne. I was in Bible college, and the Lord showed me a picture in my spirit. I won't say it was a vision, but it was just a picture in my spirit. And this was really one of the first times this had ever happened to me before um, that time. I'd not really experienced that. Um, but it was a very vivid picture of like an aerial view of my Bible college with a dark cloud over it and these little like street lamps sticking up. You could see them just sticking out of the cloud. And the Lord said, um, darkness is trying to overwhelm. But when you pray, you're like a light shining in the darkness. And right after that, I felt something come into my bedroom. I was laying in my bed in my dorm room, and I felt something come into my dorm room. And I couldn't see it. I couldn't. There was nothing in the physical that I could tell you that that was there. But I knew that there was something big that hated me in my room. And I was afraid. I could feel the fear like come up in my spirit or in my whatever inside (laughs) I could feel it like and the scripture came back to me behold I have given you authority over serpents and scorpions and nothing shall by any means harm you and I said I have authority over you (laughs) I mean I was afraid and I knew that that fear was was a situation a temporary not the foundation, not the firm truth. And so I decided, I'm not going to believe the fear. I'm going to believe the word. I have authority over you, and you have to go because I said so. And he stood there and looked at me for a minute. Now, don't tell me how I knew that, because I couldn't see anything. It was just what I knew in my spirit. I could sense that he stood there for a moment, and then eventually turned around and slowly walked out of the room. And I thought, okay, that worked. (laughs) And uh, and that was like, wow, how did I remember that? <laughs> Scripture just came up because of all that torture, <laughs> all that discipline that my mom made me, like, read the Bible, the hard part. You know, you, you hide it away so that when you come up against something, you're, you have it, you're, it's ready to go. You can use it. And... Um, Actually, the kids have been learning about the armor of God back in the in their classroom, and when I was studying to teach them, I the Lord showed me something about that. We were uh, doing the belt of truth, and and uh, I I just had this sudden realization that when you surround yourself with truth, it's like you know army guys they wear these belts that have things all over them. They have. Um, you know, little pouches with all kind of little doodads that are ready to help them in the field when when they need it. And a construction person, they wear a tool belt, and they have, like, a hammer and a tape measure and nails and different things, whatever they're going to need to do their job on their tool belt, ready to go so they're not going to climb the ladder, get up where they need to be, and go, where's my hammer? You know, it's already in their tool belt. It's the same way with the belt of truth. We put that on, we put on the scripture, we put on the word of God, we put on the memorization, the hiding away in our heart of the word of God, so that when we get to a situation that is so overwhelming and so intense and so like, this is battle, we have things on our tool belt that we can use, we can take up and say, all right, well, um, let's see, I actually thought of Batman. (laughs) Yeah, none of y'all ever watch Batman. (laughs) I know, it's just me. (laughs) But he's got, like, little smoke bombs in his belt, and he'd throw them out and, like, you know, confuse the bad guys. And he's got, like, the grappling gun. He'd, like, and fly away. And uh, that's the way it is with with the Word of God. When we memorize it, when we put it away, we're ready. We've got it on us. We're armed. We're prepared. we got the tools we need to face what we need to face when we get there. If you go out into the world and live your life and you just haven't read your Bible in a couple years, maybe it's been a many couple of years, maybe you really never read it at all, you just kind of pick up what you get on Sunday and maybe like you look at one scripture every once in a while or something and, oh, that's nice. You know, on a card, you get the the inspirational quotes on a card or on your calendar. And, um, And that's all you get. 
then you're going to go out into the field, run up against some situation, and your little pouch on your belt is going to be empty. Oh, what was that? What was that one again? Uh, uh, where did I put my nails? Where did I put my hammer? You know, where did I put my smoke bombs? And um, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to be fumbling, trying to figure out what to do. You're going to be like, I don't know what to do. Because, and you'll hear people say that all the time, I'm up against the situation. I just don't know what to do. Because you got to hide that, those things. In, you got to hide God's word in your heart. You got to put those things on your belt of truth. So let's go there. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. You guys know God eats popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I still say that in my head every time I'm looking for. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, here's a good question. Why would he tell you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might if you weren't already? Because you got to choose that. you got to choose to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You have to make the choice. Am I going to let this thing roll over me and crush me again, or am I going to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? It's not your own strength. You're going to wear out real quick. You're trying to do it on your own by willpower, by strength of might, by your, you know, I'm tough. I do everything myself. You're going to wear out real quick. And the devil loves that when you're like, I can do it all by myself. Because he's like, all right, let's see how much you can take. And he'll just steamroll you, man. He'll just dump everything you can dump on you all at once. Do you think you can do it all by yourself? But when you get in God's power, when you're in his strength and his might, then the, the devil looks at that and goes, I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> you got too much on your side, <laughs> too much opposition. And he runs away. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And so... Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, so that's the next thing, the breastplate of righteousness. So we've got the belt of truth. How do we fill up our belt of truth? How do we fill it up with tools that we need? Well, some amount of it's just going to be boring. It's just going to be work. And I think we just got to accept that. It's discipline. You choose. I know that this is more valuable than I currently recognize. And so I choose to put in the work, to put these things away, so that when I need them, they will come back up. Like I was telling you, um, sitting in my car crying, and the Lord reminded me of Matthew chapter 5, that we had memorized as a kid. So if I had never heard that before, if I'd never read it, if I didn't know it, then how could the Lord have reminded me of it? And so you have to put things away. You have to make a choice. This is valuable. This is precious. And you have to choose to put in the hard work. It's not very fun. Nobody wants to hear it. Everybody wants the easy ticket, you know, the quick little thing that they can do. And there are a lot of quick little things that people can do. I mean, I like the the U version Bible app on the phone has a daily Bible verse. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's like a minute and a half. They'll have a some famous pastor, and he'll preach a short little sermon, and they'll read the scripture, and it has a little prayer and a multiple choice question. You can like do the whole thing in three minutes. But how many people even take the time to do that? You know, I, I'm not meaning to be hard on you guys. I'm I'm speaking to myself too. Because it's something you have to choose. I have to choose to make time in my day for the Lord because it's worthwhile. Okay, so back to Ephesians. Uh, Let's go to Philippians. That's the next one. See, God eats popcorn. E is for eats, and the P is for Philippians. Popcorn. There you go. Now you know how to get there. So Philippians chapter 4 
says, uh, oh, chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surrounds, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then here in verse 8, he gives you the key. This is the key to all of those things he said before. This is how you rejoice in the Lord always. This is how you remain gentle. This is how you are anxious for nothing. This is how you can pray with um, requests and with thanksgiving. This is how you can have peace. Okay, this is the key, verse 8. Uh, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So wh what is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and good report with virtue and praiseworthy? What is that? God's word. God's word. I mean, everything that he does is pure. He is just. He is lovely. He has a good report always. So what do we meditate on? It says meditate on these things. We meditate on God's word. And the things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the peace of God will be with you. So learned and received and heard and saw. So what is your job then? Your job is to learn and to receive and to watch and to hear. And so whatever you need to do to watch and hear and learn and receive and meditate on the word of God, that's how you put it away. That's how you have peace. That's how you're anxious for nothing. That's how you can rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what comes, no matter how discouraged you feel today, you can still get up and rejoice in the Lord always because you choose not to meditate on what you're discouraged about. You choose to meditate on what God's word says. Okay, so I told you my stories. I think I have another one. The Lord will bring it back to me. We'll go to Luke uh, chapter 10. We'll read someone else's story. Luke chapter 10. I thought it was John chapter 10, but that's another good story. It's actually Luke chapter 10 that I need here. Luke chapter 10. Okay, and then uh, the end of the chapter, verse 38. Now it happened when they uh, went and he entered a certain village. That's Jesus and his disciples. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she and her sister, she had a sister called Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now this uh, word in verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. The word distracted in the Greek is, forgive my Greek because I never took it in school, is periaspeto. But that word means distract, trouble greatly, or to be dragged all around. Now, how many times have you been um, worried or stressed or anxious about something, and it felt like you were distracted, greatly troubled, and dragged all around? Doesn't anxiety do that to you? It drags you all around. It, it takes you. You're not in control of it. Just takes you through all the what-ifs, all the terrible things that could go wrong. And Martha was so distracted with her serving that she missed out on what really mattered. I mean, she must have cared to hear what Jesus had to say because she invited him into her house. 
So there was a desire at the beginning, but then she let, you know, what she thought was expected of her, what the world put in front of her, what the natural things were happening, serving people to distract her from her original intent, which was to hear the word of God. And Mary just, like with focus, just right to Jesus' feet, sat and just soaked up everything he had to say. She just absorbed it, just listened. And Jesus said to Martha, Mary has chosen the good part because she's hearing the word. She's hearing the word. And so that's what we have to choose to do is hear, hear, receive, learn, watch, listen. Um, The word of God is a sword. It's our weapon. So not only is it our belt of truth, but in Ephesians chapter 6, it also says, take up the sword of, sp- of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Um, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Well, you, you do both. You take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and you pray always with all prayer and supplication. Both. The, but the, the word of God is your weapon. It's your sword. It's your attack method. It's how you deal with problems. And so... Um, in, uh, I think it was Second Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So um, here's what happens. The devil comes in with thoughts, and he tries to tempt us away, to think different, to worry, to uh, trust in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own ideas. Um, He tries to tell us, that God doesn't love us, that God doesn't care about us. He tries to tell us that we're all on our own. we got to figure this out. I mean, just the never-ending freight train of bad thoughts that come from him. And we have to use the word of God as our weapon to pull down those thoughts that try to set up a stronghold in our mind. So when we have it hidden away in our heart, when we have our belt of truth all full up, then we can take our sword off of our belt, and attack those thoughts, take them captive, prevent them from controlling us, prevent them from making us like a Martha, distracted and dragged around by anxiety or pulled down by discouragement. And so the last uh, personal story I wanted to tell you guys is um, about what I probably have told. I don't know which of you have heard it before. Some of you have heard it, some of you haven't, whatever. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, I, I, did, I struggled with depression for a lot of years, a lot of years. Um, in high school, I had suicidal thoughts. And I remember one day I was really serious about taking my life. I was like trying to figure out how to make it happen, you know, that serious. And I went out in the backyard to pray and just to be alone, just somewhere quiet to be alone. And the Lord um, reminded me of scripture I had learned, <laughs> of all things, um, it said, as Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And I just could imagine myself running into this tower and being protected from all of the things that I felt like were going to destroy me. And, um, and I knew then, in that moment, that God did not want me to take my life. It was not his plan. And that uh, but together we'd be okay. But I still dealt with depression for a lot of years, a lot of years. And it was a scripture that I heard one day. A friend of mine read it, and it was in Romans chapter 8. It says, for your children and heirs, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that you suffer with him, that you will also be glorified together. And uh, and I'm like just focus in on that word suffer. I'm like, I am suffering with depression. I am miserable. I am making everyone around me miserable. I hate my life. I hate myself. And, um, and 
if you suffer with him, you'll also be glorified together. And I suddenly realized, I am God's child. He loves me so much that he would give me the same inheritance he's going to give to Jesus and, and glorify me together with Jesus no matter what I do on this earth. I win, lose, a fail, succeed. No matter, you know, what I do with my life, he is going to honor me and glorify me when I get to heaven because I am his child. That's my identity. My identity is daughter of God. My identity is his child. My identity is not great accountant or preacher or um, wife. My identity is not anything else, you know, role that you fill in this world. My identity is child of God. And the only person that I need to please is him. That's it. And it just, it was like a light came in and I suddenly realized I had been so concerned about what other people thought of me, about being successful and doing well at what I was doing. I was so concerned about filling the ministry calling that uh, I thought I was doing the right thing. I was on the mission field at the time. I was so depressed. I was doing what I thought God called me to do. And I was like, God, if you called me to be a missionary and here I am on the mission field and I hate it, what is my life worth? I was, you know, ridiculous. And, uh, but see, God's word came in like truth and it was light and it said to me, that doesn't matter. None of that matters. You can fulfill your calling, never fulfill your calling. You're still going to be my child. I'm still going to glorify you. I'm still going to give you the same inheritance Jesus had. And that transformed me. And I realized if that one scripture could have that kind of impact on me, then what could 10 or 20 do? And so I started reading and memorizing Romans chapter 8 as an adult. The, like the only scriptures I've really memorized as an adult. <laughs> The rest were from my mom. <laughs> and, um, and it, man, it, it just changed me. It transformed me. That depression began to break off of me. It began to lose its hold. And it was like um, I was gaining steam. I was gaining momentum in the joy of the Lord and the strength of the Lord. And that depression just started to lose its hold slowly over time. So the more I realized it was losing its hold, the more just voraciously I wanted to consume God's word and so I wrote it all over my bathroom mirror and I would come I put it on my wall at work and I wrote it on my refrigerator and I and I uh, would quote it every day I'd get home from work and I'd open my bible and I'd just start reading it as loud as I could so so that if there was any negative thought there was no way for it to get through over my yelling I'm sure my landlord thought I was nuts but oh well <laughs> It was worth it to me to get free. And so that's what I mean when I say the word of God is your sword. You use it. You take this um, like letting life roll over you attitude and you put it behind you and you say, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to take up my weapon and I am going to fight anything that tries to knock me down. This is my place in God. This is my ground to stand on. This is who God says I am, and nothing is going to take that away from me. And I take my sword out, and I fight. We're not fighting people. See, I wasn't fighting Anne, who was trying to get me fired. I was fighting against the attack of the enemy that was trying to destroy her life and mine. You see, and because I allowed the word of God to have its work, then God was able to bless her life and mine. You know, that's what he wants. He's not out to destroy, and he's not out to see how you can, like, get by on your own and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and take the word that you have and make it work, make it work, make it work. It's not about works for him. Our labor, Hebrews chapter 4 says, our labor is to enter into rest. That's our work, to enter into rest. And so how do we do that? We stand on the word. We, we value it. We treasure it. It's our sword. It's our protection. And the word of God is a seed. So every time my mom made me memorize a scripture and it didn't immediately change me, it's because the seed was being planted. Um, Mark chapter 4. Go to Mark chapter 4. It's um, right, be right after Matthew and right before Luke. 
there we go, Mark chapter 4. So uh, when Jesus was alone, this is verse 10, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 10. When Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable of the sower. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And so he said to them, How do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. So he begins to explain the parable. But he starts by saying that the word of God, the parable, is a mystery. And that the more we spend time with God and understand the kingdom of God, the more the mysteries of the kingdom of God are revealed to us. So that's part of the seed growing up and having its work in our heart. Um, as it grows in us, we understand it more. And, and uh, we have more wisdom about the things that are in here. It makes more sense to us. It starts to click. Uh, we see things we didn't see before. And uh, things that didn't mean anything to us before now mean something. And, uh, and so then in verse uh, 14, he says, The sower sows the word. So the, here he tells the parable of a sower who's going down and sowing seed. And what's he sowing? He's sowing the word, the word of God. The word of God is being sown into these people's hearts, and Satan comes immediately to take the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, that is what happens. So we hear, we read, we listen, we watch, we experience, and then immediately the devil comes and tries to convince us that's not what that meant, that's not what we heard, that's not what God said. Did God really say that? It's like what, uh, what the serpent said to Eve in the garden. Well, did God really say that you would die if you ate of that tree? So the, the, the serpent, the devil, he comes to steal the word. He was trying to steal the word from Eve and deceive her. And... Um, you know, uh, the last time I was I was ministering last summer, and uh, I prayed for a woman, and the Lord gave me this vision for her, and a really just a fantastic word, and so I spoke this word over her and prayed for her, and I got home, or got back to where we were staying, and I laid down for the night, and as soon as the light was off and the room was quiet, I heard the voice of the enemy. You didn't really hear that from God. You just made that all up. You invented that story and that vision for that woman. You didn't hear that from God. And it was relentless. It was like a flood. It just kept coming and coming. And I thought, did I hear it from God? And finally, I wish I could say I got it that night, but the next morning I woke up and I said, devil, you shut up. I know I hear from God. I know I, I know God's voice. John chapter 10 says, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. And the voice of a stranger, they do not follow. I know God's voice. I'm not going to listen to you. And so then the last thing I wanted to tell you, don't let the devil steal your seed. Your seed is um, the precious word of God that is planted there when you hear it, receive it, see it, listen to it. Um, you don't let the devil steal your, don't let him talk you out of what you've heard. And, um, I'm looking for the scripture. It came to my memory and I can't remember where I read it. I'll have to get you the, the reference later, but I was in my studying, I read the scripture that said the enemy comes like a flood, but the Lord sets up a standard against him. Actually, I think it's this one, Isaiah 59. If y'all want to go there, you can. If not, you just wait for me to get there. Okay, verse 16. And so then he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. This is God. And so his own arm brought salvation for him. His own righteousness, it sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, he repaid fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. 
So they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. Here it is. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So the the last thing that the word is, is it's our connection to the Lord. It's our It reveals his nature to us. It shows us who he is and how much he cares for us. And so when we learn it, memorize it, put it to put it away, put it in our hearts, um, place a value, place importance on it, then we learn his nature and his character. He is the one that fights with us. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he tries to overwhelm us. It feels like it's never-ending, nonstop barrage. That's when the Lord raises up a standard against him, and we pull out our sword to fight, but we're not alone because he's standing right there with us. You know, it's greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We're not alone. You know, we've got him on our side. He fights with us. So I just want to encourage you to treasure it. This is why I treasure it, because of these stories I've told you and so many more, of just moments where I was facing something, an overwhelming odds, situation I didn't know how to deal with or experiencing something wonderful in the spirit, and he didn't understand what it meant. And the Lord used the word that I had hidden in my heart to teach me about those situations, how to deal with them, to answer questions, to reveal his nature, to show me who he is, to help me to recognize his voice when he speaks. So um, it's it's a treasure, it's a gift, It requires work. It requires effort on our part, but it's so valuable and so worth it. We hope you enjoyed today's message, The Importance of the Word. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 1030 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.